welcome to Conversations with Sports Fans. I'm your host, Doug Hill, and in this episode, I'm happy to be joined by Steve Nagancast. Steve is a retired certified public accountant from the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and a pretty big baseball fan. After his family relocated from New Jersey to Detroit in the early 1960s, Steve moved on from his relationship with the New York Yankees to fall in love with the hometown Detroit Tigers. How hard did Steve fall? Well, he's amassed a collection of over 1,200 autographed baseballs, primarily from the Tigers, and every signature seems to have a story. We aim to discover some of those stories during our time together. Steve, welcome to Conversations with Sports Fans. Yeah. Hello. I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about um, these 1,200 baseballs and, and probably a whole lot more. But before we get into that, Steve, I've, I've got a standard question for everybody. What is one of your earliest recollections of being a sports fan? Well, I was uh, I was born in uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky in 1951. My father was in the uh, military in the forties and stayed on for his working career as a civilian working for the army. So we moved around and we bounced around uh, from Kentucky where I was born to Maryland to another base in New Jersey. And it was really the late fifties when I was eight or nine years old and the Yankees were dominant team back then that I got, I got hooked in with the Yankees. You know, they were winning world championships in 58 and 61 and, I was collecting all their baseball cards. Our, scub, our Cub Scout pack went to a double header at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, it was had to be 58 or 59. And uh, I was just hooked as a Yankee fan. And I think that's really where I started my, my interest in baseball. And we moved to Detroit in 62. My father got transferred to the tank plant in Warren. Yeah in Warren, Michigan, um, maybe it's center line. Exactly. It's like right next to where the GM tech center is. Yep. Um, so were you, certainly you were old enough to have a recollection of it, but what was that 1961 season like for a young Yankees fan with, with Maris and Mantle and, and yeah. all that went on with that? What was that like? It was amazing. I remember yeah, that was a great year. And, you know, the, the Tiger, which I wasn't a Tiger fan at that time, but Tigers had a great team, too, that year. Yeah. As you know, Doug, uh, they they were loaded. And I think they I think the Tigers might have won 100 games roughly. And still, they were eight or nine games out. Uh, the Yankees were that good. But, yeah, I, Doug, that, those, that was a great year to, to be a Yankee fan. When, yeah. we moved to, when we moved to Detroit in 62, I remember uh, the Tigers – actually beat the Yankees in a game and I was young and I remember crying. I was so upset that, that the Yankees didn't win, but I eventually living in Detroit became a Tiger fan. Yeah. And did, was uh, Detroit then, was that the final destination for your father or was there another move after that? No, that was it. So we lived, so since fourth grade, uh, we've, I grew up in the Detroit area. Mm -hmm. You know, I live in Grand Rapids now, but I, uh, I live in the Detroit area and went to high school in the Detroit area. And uh, yeah, so that was pretty much it, you know, for the, the moving. Yeah. And certainly a, a, a Yankee baseball fan as a youngster, you come to Detroit um, and through the middle to late part of the sixties, as you already alluded to, the Tigers were a, a solid team, respectable, certainly. And then, you know, 68 happens where by that time, had you moved on from your Yankee fanaticism oh, yeah. on to full-on Detroit by 63 <laughs> yeah I was, okay I was I was a Tiger fan you know they had I'm looking at the names here got you know Colavito, Bunning, Fox, Gladding, Freehand, Kaline, Cash, Bubba Phillips is an old name and Billy Bruton and yeah I was I was locked in with all those guys by 63 and you know, for those of us that are, I, I, I missed the 68. I was born in 67. So I, I didn't um, get to enjoy that one. What was that like for someone who's probably in your, I, I'm imagining uh, mid to late teens at that time, right? I was in high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I never, I couldn't get to any games. I didn't have any connections, tiger tickets, you know, 
Uh, my dad worked for the army. He didn't work, you know, if you work for the car companies, you probably had access to tickets. And But I remember in, in high school listening to a transistor radio up to my ear, trying to hide it during the day because some of those games were during school hours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and watching some of my classmates get caught listening <laughs> to the radio. But that, that was a great year, 68, one of the best. Um, and, and then you, you, uh, you know, 71, 72, the Tigers are again, you know, right there on the, on the cusp. Are, are you still in the area at that point or have you no, then, matriculated then to college? Yeah. So I went to, I went to college at um, in Milwaukee at Marquette University. And uh, so, you know, it was all, uh, you know, during the school year, it was distant, but I was working summers on the, on the assembly line night shift, Okay. Uh, you know, down in Livonia on Eccles road, there's a big Chevy bumper and spring plant back then. And I was working night shift seven days a week. It was crazy making good money, but it was hard to, I did get to go to the 71 all-star game. Uh, my foreman let me have that night off or let me come in late. And I sat in the bleachers. I got a ticket through the lottery, mm-hmm. one ticket. And I sat and saw one of the most famous all-star games in the history of all-star games. Yeah, perhaps for any sport. It was, I mean, that's that's still the stuff of legends in terms of the sheer volume of, of Hall of Famers. And we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago, uh, Fran Sislowitz, who managed to orchestrate an entire family outing there as an 11-year-old boy. He, too, won the lottery and and ended up with five tickets and got his entire family down to the game. And and he still, you know, talks about that experience. It must have been yeah. something, huh? It was just the, the Hall of Famers who were there, and most of them hit home runs, you know, with Reggie's being the most famous, right, that yeah. hit the lights of, of high and right fields. Now, were you uh, upstairs? Did you have a chance to see it, or were you in the lower deck bleachers? So I was upper deck, kind of toward right field. So it, it, it's hard for me to see the lights from where yeah. I was sitting. But I could, you know, I knew it was up there, but I, I probably I couldn't actually see it hit the lights. Yeah. Um, is it, you know, you so you're in Milwaukee now during the school year. I'm trying to do my math here. The Brewers would have, or the Pilots would have moved to Milwaukee by then. So the Brewers were around. Are you? Yeah, you're uh, good. You're are, good. Yeah. Are, yeah, I try. Are, are you? Um, are you going to the games at the old County Stadium? Oh, and, yeah. and seeing some Brewers games. Yeah, oh yeah, we used to love going out because we it wasn't that far from campus. You mm-hmm. know, Marquette's a downtown campus, and uh, we got to go see the Brewers. And we'd always sit in the bleachers. The price was right. And they'd bring a keg of beer around, Doug, on a, on actually a, on a cart. And you, you know, uh, uh, you know what, what do you call those moving carts that you put refrigerators on? Dollies. Dol- and yeah. they'd have a barrel of beer on dollies and they'd bring it through the lower level of the, uh, of the bleachers. And you'd buy beers for 50 cents. And, you know, it was just, it was great. <laughs> We went to because those would start, you know, we we could catch a month of baseball in September, you know, during our semesters. And then uh, we could catch uh, some April and May games, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in second semester. So, yeah, we we hit County Stadium and had a great time. I, I now I have to admit I I appreciate you telling me that I'm good, but I have no recollection as to whether the Brewers were even passable back in the in the 70s or the mid 70s. But was was it a a good product, or were you there more for the for the uh, for the rolling keg of beer and whomever the opposition was? I mean, they weren't winning any World Series or anything like yeah. that. It was more just to go out and have fun with a bunch of friends drink a few beers, watch baseball. It was a, as much social as anything, Doug. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, has it always been baseball? Are there other sports that you have interest in, or are you just yeah. um, pretty monogamous with baseball? Baseball is clearly my favorite. I love college football. Okay. Uh, my wife and is a Notre Dame grad, and my kids, I have two daughters. They're both Notre Dame grads, and my wife's father's a Notre Dame grad, so I become a Notre Dame fan. I grew up a, a U of M fan living in Michigan, but since I've been married 44 years to a Notre Dame lady and her family and now my kids, uh, I'm a Notre Dame fan. And like I like college football a lot. It's great to see the Lions, uh, you know, coming back. That's exciting. I, 
I like the Pistons. So I, I'm not as big into hockey, but, you know, I, I enjoy it, watching it from time to time. But mm-hmm. baseball's number one. Yeah. Uh, any um, Have you had any in-person experiences at Notre Dame Stadium? Oh, many. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, uh, we went – boy, we – I'm thinking for 30 years, we were going to more, most of the games, home games. Uh, my father-in-law had season tickets. So we went to a lot of games. Yeah. Anything that stands out? Well, the, for Notre Dame, I think yeah. the, that one game in the late eighties when they played Miami of Florida and it ended up 31 30 and, you know, Notre Dame won that game. Uh, that was, and uh, that was a national championship year. And Miami, if had they won that game, probably would have been national champions. But that's back with Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. Uh, that, that's probably the most memorable game I've, I've ever been to. The most painful was probably the Bush push game against USC. That was painful, right? It, you know, it, as as was uh, you know the recent game against Ohio State. That went right down to the wire, and oh, that that was second to the Bush push as far as pain. <laughs> yeah, I would I would imagine. And the opposite side of Jimmy Johnson was that the Lou Holtz time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, I, I I discovered you back in boy late winter, early spring of this year when I happened to stumble upon a couple of articles about this collection of autographed baseballs that you have. And for the listeners at home, uh, the number I think is in the 1200 range. It may be more or less. I don't know if you've added to it this year or not. You'll tell us in a moment, but it's primarily tiger autographs, if I'm not mistaken on baseballs, but give us a little overview in terms of what this all entails and then we'll maybe dig a little deeper in terms of how it started and, and where it's going to wind up. Yeah. So Doug, I have a, about 1,130 different tiger autographs. Uh, if you count duplicates, you know, I'm, I'm probably 1,250, you know, cause I have two or three K lines and a couple of Hortons, but I can say I have about 1,130 different tiger players autographs on baseballs. And I've been working at this hobby for 30, 35 years. And I have them all in my home in seven large museum cabinets. I have them broken out into probably 15 different categories. Okay. And at some point where appropriate, you know, I can quickly just describe some of these categories when you think the time is right. So, um, well, I, there's no better time than the present. Let's let's go into the okay. different categories, and then we'll start talking about how you began uh, accumulating all of these. Yeah, so I have categories. Uh, I have one category for Al Travers. I bet you I wouldn't think many people know about Al Travers. And uh, there was a game in uh, 1912, okay. and it was in May. And to make a long story short, Ty Cobb got suspended uh, by the commissioner of baseball a day or two before this famous game uh, in New York for going into the stands and actually beating up uh, a crippled individual who was calling his mother bad names. And he got suspended. The Tigers in retaliation said that they were not going to show up for a game in Philadelphia when they played the A's. And, uh, the commissioner of baseball said, well, you're going to be fined X thousand dollars for every game you don't show and a really high amount that, mm-hmm. that they really couldn't afford. So they decided to become non-competitive and they found uh, off the street, a, a kid named Al Travers who was going to a local college, didn't play baseball. And he was the starting pitcher that day. And he gave up 24 runs of which 22 were earned I think that set a major league record for earn run average for being the bad earn run average, of course. And he, you know, he had his moment of fame in front of, front of 25,000 people, but I have a, I have a, a cabinet or a, a collection area and I have Al Travers baseball uh, signed. It's very rare. And he later went on to become a Catholic priest. He was very embarrassed by this game. Didn't like to talk about it. Uh, because uh, he thought maybe it would be ridiculing him to to point it out. 
uh, and I have his autograph and I have a couple other, they had a couple other substitute players off the street who played in that game. And some of the coaches actually played some positions, but it, they, after that game, Ty Cobb, the suspension was lifted uh, and they moved on, but it's famous. One of the top 10, I think most famous games in Tiger history. Hmm. Um, but uh, that's a great, uh, that's a great baseball. Yeah. How did you come to acquire that? Was that something that you, 1912, I'm guessing you probably didn't get it signed yourself. Uh, so was that bought at an auction or at a show I, or, or how'd you come to I get that? I found it online. There's a gentleman named Alan Schwartz out of New York City. And he's a, he was a Pulitzer Prize finalist. Uh, and he wrote, he was an expert on CTE, the, the, the football yeah. brain mm-hmm. stuff. And he's well published and he had it. And I, I was, I contacted him and got to know him a bit and, and I, I bought it from him. And what's interesting is I, I was negotiating with him on the, on the phone and um, I, I hung up. I didn't work. I didn't get the deal done that night. I went downstairs to watch TV and I took out, I put a documentary on and all this is a true story within Five minutes of me hanging up and me just randomly flipping on the TV. Alan Schwartz was on TV being interviewed about CTE on this documentary. <laughs> I called him back saying, Alan, I had no idea that you had this kind of fame. But I, I did work out I did work out the deal and uh and, and got the ball through him. He bought it through a South a Sotheby's option, uh auction. Okay. About 30 years ago or something and had it in a closet and decided it was time to move it on. I think one thing that I, one reason why I got that ball is I told him I was going to donate my collection one day to a museum. I wasn't doing this as a dealer. I wasn't doing it to make money. And I did call him uh, two weeks ago saying, Alan, I just want to let you know if the ball's going to a museum and he was tickled pink. So it worked out. What a terrific story. Yeah. Yeah, Um, Isn't that cool? That's very cool. Now you you referenced um, other categories, so you have yes. this the the Al Travers uh, category. Uh, what else do you have? I have I have an Eddie Guidel category. Okay. Have you? So you do you have have you ever heard of him? Oh yeah, I, uh, I'm I'm familiar with his work and, oh, man, and his his connection to a, a Mr. Bill Vec, I believe. Yeah, you're good. You know your stuff. Not a lot of people do. And you're right. It was a famous uh, August 19th of 1951. Bill Veck, you know, was a real showman. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, you know, you know, he, he was the one who put that whole burning record thing together in Chicago when the yeah. Tigers played there. Remember, yeah, they yeah. Oh, had yeah. the Dis- fire. And Disco market. demolition night. Yeah. Well, he brought in uh, a small person, you know, back in those days, they'd say midgets. But being socially correct, he brought mm-hmm. in a small person named Eddie Guidel, who actually went to bat in the second game of a doubleheader. And, uh, you know, he was three feet, eight inches or something. And Bob Kane for the Tigers was pitching and couldn't, the strike zone was so small, four pitches, he walked Eddie. And they they then took uh, Eddie out of the game at that point, you know, because he wasn't going to be able to run the bases fast enough. And, and so I have a collection, uh, a category, so where I have, there's only 10 known autographs of Eddie Guidel. I have it on paper. It's one of the rare ones. I, I just, I know I'll never get it on a ball that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. He died young. He was murdered and died young. Uh, he was very, also very embarrassed and didn't like to sign. And I have one of 10 autographs that are known. And, uh, and then around that, I have, I have about 15 baseballs of Tigers who played in that game. It was in St. Louis, but the Tigers played. And I have autographs of, on baseballs of 15 guys who were in the field. And then I have the the man, I have the manager's autograph of the St. Louis Browns. I have the pinch runner. Del, Jim Delsling was the pinch runner. I have Frank Saucier for the Browns who Eddie pinch hit for. I've got the umpire, Eddie Hurley autograph. Uh, so I, I built a, a whole whole collection around around this um uh, really 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 neat oh the other thing that's about this the back boy that day for the st louis browns is a guy named bill dewitt jr hmm. bill dewitt jr today is the owner of do you know what baseball team i do not no st louis cardinals really and and he was the bat boy that day 
because uh, his father owned the Browns at that time. And so I sent him a ball and I got it back two or three months later, Bill DeWitt Jr. And he signed it and put Eddie used my my jersey for that game. So he Eddie used the Bat Boys jersey <laughs> to bat and his number was one eight. They put on, yeah, on the back of the jersey. Yeah. And uh, so Bill DeWitt sent me a ball and that's really special and dated it. And so I have a beautiful collection there. So that's another category. I won't, I won't spend as much time on all of these different categories, but I'll just highlight. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I suspect our our listeners will enjoy it. So you take as much time as you'd like. Okay. I've got a Johnny, Johnny Newen sign ball. He, uh, he played for the Tigers in the late twenties. This is another category. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's only been 15 unass- unassisted triple plays in the history of baseball. Mm-hmm. And Johnny had one on May 31st of 1927. And I have a ball from him where he describes not only he put his autograph, but he also describes in, in writing on the ball, the unassisted, you know, unassisted triple play mm-hmm. and the date. It's It's a really, really special ball. I have a, another category where I have a now K-Line gold glove trophy. Okay. Uh, that is not a baseball, but it's it was when Al passed away a couple of years ago, shortly after his family put a lot of his personal items up on auction at Heritage Auctions out of Dallas. And you probably read about that. It was in the papers. Mm-hmm. And I just and he had some of his gold glove trophies were out there. And I, I won his 1967 gold glove trophy. And uh, that's really neat. I uh, got to know uh, Al Kaline a bit. I don't, by no means, you know, he'd call me up and say, let's go to dinner. But we became familiar with each other through my fantasy camps. I went to 11 Tiger fantasy camps in Lakeland. Uh, Jerry Lewis for the Tigers would put these together with Jim Price. And mm-hmm. I got to know a lot of the 68 Tigers and the 84 Tigers who became our coaches. Uh, as we played baseball in Florida in what they call fantasy camp. And that's where I got, had some exposure to Al Kaline. So getting that trophy was, was really cool. Uh, I'm going to loan that. uh, I know we're going to talk about how I'm donating all these baseballs in a bit to the Grand Rapids Public Museum in February. That one uh, I'll donate and, and actually give them the baseballs, the 1100 or the 1200 baseballs. But the trophy I'm just going to put on loan and I'd like to get that to a grandkid someday. Mm -hmm. So I'll let them have it for five or 10 years. But I've got some other categories around Eddie Sakat. If I'm saying his name, he's a Livonia guy who is the leader of the Black Sox scandal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember him from Eight eight Men Out. Yeah. Eight Men Out. And uh, Wally Pipp. Have you heard heard of him? Oh, very familiar with Mr. Pipp. Um, He had the unfortunate... uh, pleasure of taking a day off once and, and didn't get his job back ever because a guy named Lou Gehrig took over for him. Exactly. And he was yeah. a tiger way back. Oh yeah, know. that's right. Yep. You know, as, as Eddie Sakat was mm-hmm. and, and, you know, uh, Wally Pipp was born and raised in Grand Rapids and he's buried here, you know, where I live. Uh, but I've got another category on uh, the tiger hall of fame members. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't have a Joe Gordon ball. I uh, wish I, you know, he was a manager for the Tigers uh, in the 50s for a, a, for a short while, but he's a, a Tiger Hall of Famer, and I, I don't have him, but I have most of the other Hall of Famers, uh, including Hugh Jennings, which is mm-hmm. a real hard ball to get. And uh, then I have another category of the next Tiger Hall of Famers, who I think they should be. Okay. And, you know, I had, I have Lou, it'd be interesting to get your reaction. I, I have Lou Whitaker, of course, as maybe a potential next Hall of Famer, Freehand, of course, Cabrera, Scherzer, Verlander. I threw Leland in there when Tony Paul of the Detroit News came out to write some of these stories and see my collection. He thought I should have Gary Sheffield. I, I'm not sold on that one, but he had very strong feelings in that regard. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm I'm definitely on Team Lou. I, I, I mean, it's it's hard for me to fathom that that Tram is in there and Lou is not. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I think you need to have you need to have the Lou ball there, and and you know, freehand was just phenomenal 
for much of the 60s. Um, if you look at him in terms of metrics and all the data, I'm not sure that he necessarily makes it, but a case can be made. And and I, I wouldn't dispute any of the other ones that you, you said there. And I tend to agree with you in terms of Sheffield, although he's got the numbers, but he also was around during the time of the rabbit ball and some of the, uh, yeah some of maybe the performance enhancing um, issues. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, defensively, you know, he, when he was young, he played shortstop. He was an infielder, but mm -hmm. as an outfielder, at least toward the end of his career, he wasn't that great defensively. Yeah, you remember who his uncle is, right? You know, the pitcher, Gooden? Yeah. Is it Gooden? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They grew up in the same house because um, yeah. um, Gooden's sister had Sheffield when she was pretty young, and I think that they just all lived in the same house. So they're almost, not almost the same age, but they basically grew up together. Yeah, that's that's really special. So then I have some other categories, mm -hmm. Doug. I have like 20 different autographs on baseballs of the 1935 team. Okay. I've got 32 different autographed baseballs of the 1945 World Championship team. Mm -hmm. I've got 37 from which uh, of the 68 championship team and then 39 from the 1984 championship team. Uh, I've got some other categories for Tiger's exceptional achievements. Okay. I've got a whole bunch of in there that typically if they're, if they're on a world series team, uh, if I have a ball, that's a member of a, a Tiger world championship team, then they wouldn't be in the exception, my exceptional cabinet. They would be in the 30 and the world series championship team cabinet, you sure. know, so I, I spread them around like that. I've got Tigers owners, presidents, and general managers in a group. I have Tiger managers um, as well. And I've got radio and TV people. And then I and then for the other balls, I have my decades. Like from the I have a, an area for 1900 through 1949. I've got 50 baseballs in there. For the guys who played in the 50s, I've got 81 baseballs. The 60s, I've got 70 baseballs. In the 70s, I have 81 baseballs. The 80s, 64 baseballs. In the 90s, 144 baseballs. 2000s, 138. And the 2010 decade, 115. Uh, and then in the, my last area, I've got all-stars. I've got another 46 all-stars. Go ahead. Wow. <laughs> That's that's I mean, I rambled quickly, but at a high level, those are, you know, the 15 or 18 different categories of Tiger baseballs, how I've kind of broken these things out. Yeah. So it it begs the question, um, how did you um, come to um, collect all of these? Certainly, it sounds like in some cases you've you've just outright purchased some and you would have had to for folks that were long ago gone before you know either you or i were on the face of the earth but are are you at the tiger camps i would imagine is another fantasy camps i'm guessing you're, you're getting a lot of autographs there from some of the um the older players but tell us a little bit about how, how you come to collect them yeah i knew you'd ask that question so i i actually worked on it a little bit earlier today going through and just saying where did i get all these things and you're right. The fantasy camps, Doug, you know, I picked up a bunch there, 11 camps. And, you know, there could be 15, 20 former Tigers at these camps. Yeah. And and they, there's some rotation of those over the years. So I got to see, a, got to know and meet a lot of Tigers there. I probably have 10 dealers around the country that I, I, I've hooked in with. They know what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And they've always kept an eye out. They call me, they email me when they see, and I've sent them my listings of what I'm looking for and what I need. Major auctions that like we talked about earlier, Heritage, mm -hmm. you know, Leland, SCP. These are major auction houses that I, I would for years scan and try to find those obscure, especially older baseballs from the Tigers. Signing shows. I have a good friend in the Detroit area, Greg English, who lives in Livonia, Michigan. And he, all the, you know, those signing shows at Gibraltar and other places where they bring in, you know, yeah. Tony Taylor or something, you know, and he'll, you know, he's picked up probably 75 for me over the years by going to those shows, be living in Detroit with me being in Grand Rapids, eBay. I find, I find baseballs there. 
uh, I go to the national memorabilia shows. Oh yeah. Chicago yeah. and Cleveland and, and uh, I can find some, you know, some baseballs at those places, uh, some really nice ones. Uh, mm -hmm. at those. I mailed out a lot of balls too, Doug. I, I probably mailed out, I'd say 250. I really, uh, I, I hit really hard 20 years ago, the guys who played in the fifties who were living, but I knew wouldn't be living that much longer. And I got a whole bunch of the fifties and sixties of guys that you just don't see. These balls are not in the market and I'd send them to their home and, uh, and give them return boxes with postage. I'd throw $5 in for them to go buy a beer or a Starbucks, you know, and I had a pretty good hit rate on that. Um, really? Yeah. Huh. Pretty good. Interesting. And are I'm not, you... yeah, but spring training. Yeah. Okay. I, I went to some hall of fame events in Cooperstown. Sure. Um, I, I, I know uh, there was a gentleman named Scott Tett who became a good friend, a tiger executive. He would get me some, like he'd go to Mr. Illich and get Mr. Illich for me and go to get uh, Galarraga when Galarraga pitched that big game. And yeah, DC sports, I'd find a few from them. You know, I always keep a ball in the car. That's the last thing that I keep a ball in the car. You know, I run into Phil Regan, a former tiger pitcher at a white caps game. I, you know, I got a ball. So that, but that's a long winded. That's how I, that's how I get all this stuff. Um, it was the I, I remember back in the day it was in vogue to send off you know whether it be a baseball card or what have you in the mail you could more readily find addresses i suppose at that time um did you have any roadblocks in terms of finding addresses or was it pretty readily available you just needed to know where to look and, and who to ask I, I you can subscribe yeah there's a gentleman in florida and I think it's the last, I have it in my closet over here. Yeah. It's a book about an inch thick and you can buy it from him every year. He updates it. And I send him when I get a return ball, I'll send him the, the new address, you know, or anything yeah. I can get. But it, it's the addresses of basically anyone who ever played major league baseball, coached or managed. I have, I have their home addresses in this book and it's only like 50 bucks a year and you can get, you can subscribe to this. And it, it's, it was very accurate. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to kind of go off on a, as I am prone to do sometimes a little yeah. bird walk here, but I wanted to revisit the fantasy camps because I'm not sure that we've had a fantasy camper on before. So not yeah. necessarily the autograph component of that, but what is that experience like as a, you know, lifelong baseball fan and certainly, you know, majority of your life tiger fan, what is it like to go to Lakeland and participate in, in one of those? unbelievable or, or in this case 11 of those it's unbelievable in fact I, i'm going to answer that question but jerry lewis and Jer jim price who just passed away yeah started these camps in the 80s and they were not part of the detroit tiger organization for until like somewhere maybe around 1990 or so and then the tigers brought them into their organization and uh they became part of the tiger organization now, the Tigers just stopped doing fantasy camps uh, two weeks ago. I got a memo. They're, they're not doing them. Jerry's continuing them on his own. And he does them now over at the in Vero Beach, Florida, where the Los Angeles Dodgers train for years. Mm -hmm. And so if anybody listening to this wants to go to a fantasy camp, they're great. Jerry's still doing them over at Vero Beach and brings in former, former Tigers. But anyway, to answer your question, uh, Basically, a camp has about 100 campers. You have two weeks. You have week one or week two. You Typically, you pick what week you want to go to, week one or week two. They're both the same agenda, just depending upon your personal schedule. One week may fit better than another. And, uh, and basically, uh, 100 people who are anywhere in age, typically from 40 to 70, uh, come down and they play baseball for the week. They have, they put, you can stay on the team. If you want to go with your brother, Jerry will make sure you play with your brother or your friends. And you, you play a couple games a day and the former Tigers are your coaches and managers. And so, hmm. you know, you'll have, you know, for me, you know, we had Mickey Lolich and Tom Matchick, you know, so you get, they'd be our managers for the week. And, and they would, they would work with you if you want to, 
before or after a game, stay and practice your swing. They'd work with you. You know, you're we're the client and they're there to make us happy. And Jerry, if he invites a tiger who's doesn't understand that, that we're the client, they don't get invited back again. And they know it. And they like going down because they get to wear a tiger uniform again, you know, the, the former tigers, and they get to spend time with their their ex players and you know who on their, their teammates. And and they make a little money out of it. It's good weather. And so it's, you know, it's, so you get to know these guys. They're, they're all, they're, they're great guys. And, uh, and you just have a lot of fun. You get sore, but, you know, you, it's fun. And uh, at night, you know, you, you always have group dinners and they, Jerry will show some old films of the 68 team and there's beer at night. And, you know, just, it's, it's a great week. It's a great week. Yeah. Now you indicated about a hundred campers typically. Are they are you broken up into what eight teams, six teams? Yeah. How how, how many about how many 15, would you have? Yeah. Fifteen per team. Yeah. And then and what you do is you bat one through fifteen. You yeah. know, so the betting order is one through fifteen, not one through nine. So everyone bats the same. And and then you get to play whatever position you want. You know, it's it's your fantasy and if you want to pitch, you're going to get a mm-hmm. chance to pitch. If you want to catch or you want to play first base, it's they, they try to work you to your fantasy. Yet at the same time, you want to win because they do have a winning team at the end. We have a playoff, and it gets competitive on Friday and Saturday, the last two days. Uh, and you, you want to win the championship. And the managers, you know, the former Tigers, they want to win too. They they have pride in, in trying to get their team to win. But it's 15, and – and if and if you if you can't run very well, you can you can bat and then a runner, uh, you can have someone a teammate stand behind you and after you hit the ball, they can run for you because we have some some older people oh, sure. who have trouble running yeah. and yeah it's it's very accommodating in that regard. We have good umpires, uh, the umpires, we have the tiger trainers. They come down early when when mm-hmm. we were in Lakeland. The same trainers are available for us to help us with sore legs and muscles and well, it's all that. Like, kind of it's like their spring training, right? Yeah, yeah, they, they're getting ready <laughs> yeah. and setting up. And because I can guarantee you, there was at least one or two pulled hamstrings probably every year that oh. they had to deal with. <laughs> and Doug, it's the guys who you know you got to run a little bit before going down. Yeah. You just get your legs, just legs, just run a little bit because you know out of a hundred campers, five of them day one they'll pull a hamstring. Because they didn't, they didn't do a little bit of working out to get their legs ready. Yeah. Wow. Uh, now we've spent a lot of time talking about tigers. Uh, it's not your your collection, while primarily and overwhelmingly tiger centric, is not specifically tigers, though, right? You have some other uh, material I've or autographs probably, in there. I've got seventy five baseballs that I'm not going to donate that are not tigers, but I have some presidents. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have some baseball Hall of Famers that are not Tigers. You know, I have United States presidents. Uh, I have football coaches. Uh, I've got, you know, just notable people, uh, all different politicians, athletes. I'll hold those 75. Because the, I think with these, where I'm donating my baseballs, mm-hmm. they it's going to be all about the history of the Detroit Tigers. And so they, it's just going to be Tiger stuff. Yeah. And I'll I'll keep the other stuff. Well, it seems like, like a good pivot point to talk about where this the majority of your collection is going to go. I think you referenced the Grand Rapids Museum, right? Yes. It's a wonderful museum. It's in downtown Grand Rapids, right on the river. Beautiful facility. The, the people there I, are just special and they're excited and they're going to have a, a I think a, a special room just set up. Um I, I said, you know how museums, Doug, when you museums have like big warehouses and at any, any given time, I don't know, 15 percent of what's in the museum, you know, is 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 what their total inventory is. The other 85 percent is in the warehouse. Yep. And they rotate stuff. And so I, I said, hey, I understand how that works. You have to, you know, your displays, you have to keep them moving. Otherwise, you don't get people back again. The same people. But they gave me a five-year commitment that they'll they'll keep my stuff there. Um, I personally think they'll keep it there longer. I think there's going to be a, a lot of interest in it, but we'll see. And uh, and then um, 
it's going to move over around February 1st. Right now, my wife and I are working on an appraisal process. I, it's an eye-opener for me. I had no idea all the work it takes to appraise 1,200 baseballs. Uh, we are working with uh, Leela Dunbar, who's uh, one of the appraisers on the Antique Roadshow uh, TV state, uh, public mm -hmm. TV. Have you yeah. heard of it? Oh, yeah. Coach. Yep. Yes. Yeah, she, she does a lot of their sports. You know, she, they bring her on to do the sports appraisals. And, uh, and, she, and so we're, we're, we're putting on spreadsheets for each baseball. They want to know, she wants to know from me eight or nine different things about each baseball. You know, uh, is it multi-signed? Is it, you know, I, well, I've been working on on it today, and but is it is it multi signed, single signed? Is it is it uh, a Ford Ford? Who was the commissioner on the ball? Who made the ball? Mm -hmm. Are there inscriptions on the ball? Is it a is there a uh, a certification number for the authentication? You know, my collection, any ball that is worth a hundred dollars or more, I have it. I have authentication from one of the top three authentication firms. Uh, the, the top three in the country would be PSA, as Peter Sam Apple, PSA, mm -hmm. DNA, James Spence, and Beckett. Those are the three. I mean, just like you get a CPA firm to certify financial statements if you have a business, these three firms are the ones that are recognized as being the best at saying, is that a real autograph? Yeah. And, 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 and I would never buy a baseball in my collection uh, over a hundred dollars that didn't have it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, every now and then I took a chance and then I would later just take it and get it certified on my own. Uh, but you got to have the certification. So, so anyway, back to the appraisal process. So I've, I've got a spreadsheet, a lot of information on these 1200. And then my wife has to take pictures of all these baseballs and then we're going to get that to, to Leela. And then she starts she starts doing her work. It's all about market value. Everything. It's what have the, it has nothing to do with her opinion. She has to go back and look at what are people paying for these balls in the marketplace. That's how they determine the value. Yeah. And is that necessary because the museum needs that? Or is this something that you wanted to do? Or what's, what's the um, genesis or the impetus for the appraisal process? For me, for me, it's to get a tax savings okay. as a donation for Understood. tax purposes. Yeah. And then the museum is, I think, saying, good for you, because I'm paying for this appraisal. But they, I, they, I'm sure they'll use it. I've got to believe they'll use it for insurance. I I, I haven't asked them, but I would think they, they would be <laughs> using it for insurance understood yeah. yeah yeah so since since i'm not going to be selling it I, i'd like to get some whatever financial advantage i can and yeah. you know the doug the irs they're really strict they they really are strict on uh, sports appraisals uh you it's like when you file your tax return and and you say you have so much in donations you know you don't have to do too much proving at the time of of submitting your tax return for just regular donations. But if you get audited, then you got to bring the proof in with, with baseball, like this kind of an appraisal with the tax return, I've got to submit all of Leela Dunbar's appraisal document with my tax return. Mm -hmm. And they look at that stuff closely, which is why for anyone in, in, who takes these, who takes tax donations for, uh, for you know when they or tax benefits for 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 donations like I'm making, you better tie it tie it down tight with a reputable person who knows all the IRS rules. Yeah, that's a good tip. Thank you for that. Yeah. I don't know if we have a lot of listeners who are in the same position that you are, but it's it's good to know for you know the future for anyone. Yeah. Um. So speaking of the future, what does the the future hold for you you're you're moving through this process now it's I, I have to imagine it's a little um bittersweet um to kind of be at the end of a, of a process that has taken as you said you know the better part of 30 plus years more or less to to gather 
in a mass, but, but um, how are you feeling about it? And, yeah. and, and what, what's next for you? Yeah. You know, I, it, it is, it's, it's, there's a little bit of sadness, you know, cause it's been such a passion, but boy, there'd be a lot more sadness if, 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 if I pass away and then my wife has to figure out what to do with all this stuff. And then if it ever got sold, you know, and then dealers have it and then they're selling it off. And what outweighs any, any sadness for me is that it's going to go to an institution who's going to preserve it and protect it. And hopefully every other peer, uh, segment of five years, they bring it out and, and they make it last forever. And, and it preserves the history of, of the tigers. Uh, you know, I, to me, I'm excited by that. Yeah. It's it's time. It's been a great it's been a great hobby, and I'll enjoy going down and bringing the grandkids down to see it and at the museum. And and I think the the logical next question then is you've devoted so much time, energy, and and let's be very honest, probably a significant financial um, outlay to curating this this collection over the course of these several decades. What is next for you? Because I can't imagine you're just going to not do something You're, there has to be something for 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 you, you know, right well you know the way i look at it is i i in retirement i have i'm every day i've got 10 things on a list and i've i've got i've got a high maintenance yard i've got four grandkids and we do lots with them you know we travel i go to 12 14 baseball games a year down at uh, at the stadium i have buddies and we do road trips i you know, I, I'm looking, saying, hey, I just hope to keep my health enough for another decade where I can enjoy all those things, and and uh, I won't have much time to to dawdle or be bored. Good, I'm happy to hear that. You reference road trips. I love a good ro road trip, like everybody else. Is there something out there that that you haven't seen or you haven't been to that you perhaps hope to to get to? Uh, as you play the the back nine of life or what have you. Yeah. You know, you know, I've done road trips with, I have some very good friends uh, that go back years and years. And, and, you know, we've done road trips out East to hit four or five different stadiums. And, you know, next month in November with one of my buddies from the Detroit area, a guy named Mike Maiman lives in Beverly Hills. We're going to uh, drive around to uh, Green Bay and go to Lambeau field, uh, to, to see them play Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, and it's just every year I'll do three, four road trips and I, I haven't defined them all yet. You know, in the winter, my wife and I will go to Florida three times every winter for two or a couple weeks mm -hmm. and break up the winter. So, but is there, is there one big one out there that, not, you know, not really. I just, just any, just going to see games, sporting events. And, and, uh, you know, we typically, my buddies and I, my wife's very, very good about this, <laughs> letting me take off for typically four or five days. And, you know, we'll rent an Airbnb out in the country most of the time and set up a big TV and watch sports and sit around and drink a few beers and then be close enough to hit the sporting events that are nearby, you know, whether it be in Pittsburgh or Cleveland, New York, Philadelphia. So Kansas city, we've driven out there, you know, life is good. Yep. Do you have beyond um, presumably the old Yankee stadium and, and probably tiger stadium? Do you have a favorite park that you you've been to that you've, you've really enjoyed or you just think is that's yeah, the, no, that's I, the I, one. Pittsburgh, I thought was, have you ever been to Pittsburgh? Yeah. That's a great, that's a, isn't that a neat stadium? Love it. Phil, love it. Phil, yeah. I love that one. And Philadelphia has a beautiful stadium. Haven't uh, been Kansas, there yet, yeah. Kansas city, you know, they have Doug. Have you been to Kansas city? I have not. No, they have the, you know what they've done. And the, and I think the tigers are making a big mistake. Uh, Kansas city has like their own museum uh, right in the stadium. Mm -hmm. And when I met with the tigers about my collection, I spent a day with them and I thought they were really interested, but I, I never really got traction there. And I was telling them what they should do is put like in, in the, in the ballpark, 
make make a big room where it can be like a, a tiger museum. And I think fans would love that. And I would donate all my stuff there. And they could yeah. get all kinds of other donations. They could make a really like Kansas City's done within their stadium. That that little museum in Kansas City's packed every time you, you go there. People love that. But I I guess uh the gentleman that I was talking to, uh, who's in charge of the all the artifacts for not only so he's in charge of LCA, Little Caesars Arena. Mm-hmm. Comerica Park and Little Caesars headquarters. Yeah. All their all their memorabilia, all their paintings, all the cosmetic things that they have in those venues. And he he said basically that he didn't think Chris Illich had an interest in doing that museum. I said, well, yeah. that's really too bad, you know. Yeah, an opportunity lost because I think that brings folks in year round. Um, you know, I'm a, yeah. I've, I've, I've been to, to places in the dead of winter and, and gone to do a baseball stadium tour, which I think that Comerica does, but if there's a museum there, then that's another, you know, few bucks you could charge somebody to go in and, and, and check it out. So even on yeah. off dates, yeah. right. You know, yeah. when, exactly. And when they, cause they do stadium tours and stuff and just add that in, or I, I think they missed an opportunity myself, yeah. but that's the way it is. Well, I cannot thank you um, enough for all of this. This has been um, such a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time and and providing us with a little overview of, of what you have and, and where it's going to be. I'm, I'm so happy, Steve, that it's going to end up in a good home where it will be accessible by and large, most of it, one would think, um, you know, to the community and, and more importantly to you and your grandkids. Yeah, I agree. And I, I appreciate, you know, you contacting me and wanting to learn more about what I have. And it's I'm very proud of it. And like you just said, I'm I'm glad we can move it to a venue that it can be preserved and be available to the public for years to come. Thanks again. And, and, and good on you for uh, for getting it off to a good spot. OK, Doug, have a good evening. You too. Conversations with Sports Fans is a production of The Sports Fan Project. Our theme music is, fittingly, entitled Wooden Championships by Lobo Loco. Please visit our website at thesportsfanproject.com for more information and to contact us. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with other sports fans you know and invite them to give it a listen.